Hello, and welcome to the Vajrasati podcast. My name's Sophie Allen, and I'm going to be your host each podcast, interviewing different people from the Vajrasati Yoga School. Vajrasati Yoga was founded by Jim Tarrant in 2000. Jim has spent 30 years studying the yoga traditions, including Tantra, Vedanta, and Hatha, and incorporates these teachings into a modern postural yoga setting. As founder and senior teacher of Vajrasati Yoga, it was of course only fitting that I invited Jim to be my first guest in the podcast. As you'll hear, we discuss a vast array of topics, including the pop psychology of yoga teachers and the fashion of that. We also talk about the ego and we talk about facilitating a space as teachers. We talk about what's wrong with yoga and we talk about music in yoga, the pleasure that yoga can bring and we will end with a couple of questions from teachers from the school. I really hope you enjoy listening. We also got details of workshops and classes, um, which are extended classes uh, coming up in the next six weeks. Normal, regular classes are, of course, advertised on uh, vajrasatiyoga.co.uk. So please stay tuned throughout the podcast. And if you have any questions or comments or ideas for future topics, I'd love to hear from you guys. It's been such a pleasure recording the first ever one, and I really hope you enjoy listening to it. Um, we're going to dive straight in, Jim, to today's theme of the podcast. That is yoga as yoga teachers as pop psychologists, and what's happening out there in in the yoga world with teachers um, giving out kind of psychology advice, psycho- like psychological advice, and and how you think that's affecting how people view yoga when i see people um giving advice you know psychological advice um you know uh how to be better or how to be happier or how to be more honest um i i just don't i just think it's it sort of seems like it has nothing to do with me at all i don't want to make any comments about whether it has anything to do with yoga or not although there isn't really a precedent for um you know, we, yogis explore the psyche, but they explore it um, in a, in a sense to depersonalize it and not to um, so it doesn't become a big issue. Um, but I do see these sort of psychological comments uh, and and advice and how to be happier and you know so on and or more productive or or um, more yourself. You see it on social media, don't you? It's mm-hmm. kind of it's very fashionable in Instagram to post a picture of somebody in a yoga posture and then with a um, chunk of advice about how to live your best life. And the paradox for me of questioning yoga being the dissolution of the self mm. and we have fallen into this trap. It's almost like we're being played, someone's playing a trick on us in the yoga world yeah. <laughs> that we're supposed to dissolve the self and yet yoga 
it feels like yoga in certainly in London has become quite self-obsessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the age of self. You know, Robert Wyatt's great song, Age of Self. It is the age of self. It, perhaps it always has been to some extent. You know, the ego explosion is one way that it's been named um, by Steve Taylor in his very good book, The Fall. Mm. It's... Um, you know, I, I think the idea of, you're right, it's not, it's not what yoga or yoga philosophy, by which we mean, we mean Indic philosophy, has centred itself on. It's centred itself on that the, for, the, the cause of suffering is, is misidentification, identifying yourself with that which is transient, such as mental states or emotions, and that that causes suffering. And how that identity is done, it's a form of attachment, it's a form of... Um, getting caught up energetically and, and calling this mine energetically. Um, so although if your psyche bothers you a lot, then it pulls you into it. And, you know, it, it, there's an argument to say if you sort yourself out psychologically to some extent, then the psyche won't pull you in as strongly and you won't get so muddled. But I don't see that as the reality. You know, you see a lot of people getting um, addicted to psychology mm. and to you know their psych uh, psychologists and not getting better getting worse so i think it, it sometimes makes people um more tangled up when what we're trying to do is see psychology um just see that it's not personal by seeing where it comes from and where it goes to that's how the buddha would put it but yeah. why do you think it's happening on in the yoga studios on the mat mm. do you think it's because people don't know what to say when they're teaching that they think they have to pass on wisdom insecurity um which isn't you know understandable if you know while we all identify um self with thoughts feelings emotions then we feel insecure because our thoughts feelings emotions are insecure so when you feel insecure you feel like i've you know somewhere deep down you feel like i don't know what i've got to give so you present something that is current because then at least you're not out of favor <laughs> with the current memes mm. so you're supported by the, the current memes as it were so i thought just to because that's a, a very jim Taran phrase mm. the thoughts feelings and emotions thing so for people might be new mm. to hearing that kind of thing just to retry retrace that step of our thoughts feelings and emotions yeah and are, physical are, sensations are what and physical sensations and uh, well, uh, they are it's 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 a tag uh, a shorthand way of saying everything that arises in consciousness mm. uh, but more specifically the the sort of what we might call the local things that, that occur more locally like my body my mm. thoughts you know because sensations arise all the time and we just call certain things mine mm. um, so they're not personal our thoughts feelings and emotions yeah it's not personal but that's not a philosophy you know mm. that i think that's the problem is that we you know we try to um sort of wrap things up and, and um, package them in a in a comprehensible way but or in a meme or in a tweet <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly something that's you know um packageable mm. and then pass onable mm -hmm. you know and then purchasable <laughs> as a result yeah um and then people go, oh, I've got a product. I've bought a product. That's a fair exchange for my money. You know, and this is part of the problem of, of yoga in um, a, a sort of capitalist paradigm, which is, um, I'm not for or against a capitalist paradigm. I've no idea what's right. But, um, you know, there are problems with it. And one of them is we expect a product and we expect ourselves to give a product. And it's, otherwise, it's like, what am I giving? I just 
but my view you know is that um we're facilitating a space mm -hmm. that's all we're doing we're not there giving um packaged information i mean we can give information <laughs> about the text but then we have to give information about how to use that information experientially um to to transcend um via vision uh the attachment to thoughts, feelings, emotions. I like that we are the facilitators, as yoga teachers, we're the facilitators mm. in the space. Mm. But what um, what advice would you give to the teachers of the school, or even wider than that, to the... Obviously, we know if we've been through the teacher training, there's no script, which is brilliant. We don't want to follow a script. Mm. <clears throat> Excuse me. We want to be uh, spontaneous, and we want to be present. Mm. with what's going on and be be ourselves but what advice would you give to that temptation that to kind of dole out any <laughs> kind of i don't know well notice where it's coming from you know yeah. notice that it you know notice that it is a form of reaching out you know uh, out of your center that is and and you know when you feel like i need to say something you know um who's saying it so uh, you know if you feel like I want to say something good and useful. That's a good thing. It's a nice thing, you know. But what you you need to be empty to be able to communicate clearly. You need to be empty, um, which is a skill. It takes med. You have to meditate regularly. You have to practice emptying out regularly. You can't just go, yeah, that's a good idea. Being empty, you, you have to practice it. And then emptiness speaks. You know, it moves and, and expresses in in three powers: icha shakti, kriya shakti. And Jnana Shakti, which three powers, um, the power of will, you know, like wanting to act or speak or move, uh, the power to know what to say. And uh, so this is Jnana Shakti and then the actual manifestation of that Kriya Shakti. So, but they, they don't come from, um, they don't come from you, you know, uh, as a sort of, as a sort of person, you know, you're sort of irrelevant to it. And, you, you know, you can ask a musician the same or a, the dance are the same. They're going to be successful when they let go. Yeah, it's They're, that thing of being. How can I be of service, and how can hmm. how can I let what needs to come through me come through me? I think for yoga teachers, speaking personally for myself, it's knowing that it's fine to shut up when you're teaching. It's yeah. fine to not speak, and when you feel moved to say something, that's when that's when it will come. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's when you feel moved, mm. and and it's distinguishing what is feeling moved and what is feeling compelled. Mm. So if there's an empty space and you feel compelled to fill it because you feel uncomfortable or you feel you're not giving someone a product, it's like oh, they're paying me and I'm saying nothing, you know. Um, then that's compulsion, and that's not what we're acting from. You know, we're acting from freedom. So it's if you feel moved to to do something that's a very you know that's a very beautiful thing and that that comes naturally but you have to trust one of the differences with our teaching styles if we could call it that as such and i don't know if all or none of the Bajrasati teachers um do this but we don't ever as far as i know use music in our classes mm. and that's a quite a popular thing to do to set a class to to music can you talk a little bit about why we don't have or why you don't use background music? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not against it per se. Um, 
you know, it can be very, very useful, but it's super subjective. That's a real problem. And it, and, and it can take your emotions to places um, and invest you in those emotions. We tend to feed, and we use music, uh, many of us, to in, in, invest in an emotion and, and feed it. You know, like, oh, I want to listen to a really sad song. And, uh, you know, you kind of, you get a sense of chamatkara from, in, 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 which is a spiritual experience of, of um, enjoying something. And you like, I can really enjoy what it's like to be deeply sad. Mm. But but what we're trying to do in in yoga is see the tran- transient nature of that sadness rather than um, sort of root it and sort of indulge in it. Which is again, I'm not against. I mean, we in a sense I, I advocate indulging in in emotions, um, as in allowing them. You know, and, and like there's sadness and it's beautiful and it's powerful. But but you don't necessarily want to um, fuel it and you don't necessarily want to. Um, you know sustain it longer than it needs to be there it can be there as long as it needs to be but um so it's sub- and then it's subjective some music really pisses some people off mm. and songs can mean all sorts of things to different people i suppose yeah i mean for me like indian classical music would be an, you know, a great choice because it's spacious or, or um you know bhajan chanting you know these kind of things i like to listen to if I listen to something during during yoga, it'd be that kind of thing, or Nurasat Fatih Ali Khan, or some, something like that. We'll put these on the notes at the end of the podcast <laughs> if people want to be able yeah. to find out where to get this music. There's some great Bhajan stuff, there's some great Nurasat Fatih Ali Khan, you know, uh, that kind of stuff I, I, I can listen to because I don't attach to it. You know, it, it moves and it kind of um, crescendos and fades naturally, but it doesn't, um, you know, I'm not grasping the lyrics I'm not grasping the it's, it has an emotion but it's it's like the um, oh, like Indian classical music has an emotion but it's like the emotion of um, space or um, love and they're the same thing love and space you know, mm. and that's kind of that works but I know of people who kind of like if they find it intensely irritating and they just think they, they're in an Indian restaurant if they hear it yeah. so that's it's too you know too tricky like that um, yeah, I was listening to um, another podcast which was about emotional intelligence mm. and about having um, and that muscle of emotional intelligence being um, strengthened by being completely aware of what you're doing and we're losing that ability with smartphones and with distractions and our attention is our biggest currency mm-hmm. and so I do think that one of the differences in Vajrasati classes either as a student or a teacher is getting used to not having any not having that distraction of music mm, and it can be irritate that can be irritating but that's not a bad sign yeah you know some people do get um you know irritated by by space but the irritation is that you know you're not you're not following your normal samskara your your patterned behavior and that can be irritating because subconsciously a lot of our patterned behavior has been patterned into us around a sense of it's essential it's got to be there you know I've got to behave like this Mm. because maybe our parents told us or our school told us or our society said you know men should be this way women should be that way uh, you know or or whatever there's lots of subtle layers to it but I think um, it's that sort of um, you know compulsion that when it's frustrated by not being fed you know so um, there's a sort of if you're not um, 
feeding people's compulsions, a positive sign is that they might get bored. Mm. You know, they, because that's the samskara, or irritated, because that's the samskara trying to assert itself. Mm. And it's trying to tell you things that will make you do what it wants you to do. Sorry to give it a sentience, but you know. Can I just um, rewind a little bit and mm. ask you to give a, an explanation for those that might need reminding or who don't know what a samskara is? Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's um, a subliminal activator, Georg Fjordstein calls it. Um, uh, a habit pattern, um, a tendency, uh, you know, and the word samskara and the word vasana are kind of interchangeable, but a vasana in most systems is seen as something, a samskara that's gone deeper. So it's a bit like um, a, a trait or a tendency. Or a story that you tell yourself? Uh, well, the story will come out of a trait. So the, the, the story isn't the samskara, but the tendency to have the energetic signature of that story. Mm. is the samskara so it's it's a it's a pattern it's a sort of a leaning if you like an inclination uh, when that inclination becomes completely compulsive then that's in some systems that's called vasana <coughs> but some systems um, use the words interchangeably as well thanks very much for that jim we are going to take a break now stay tuned to listen to part two of the podcast but before that we have some news of upcoming workshops and classes and yoga holidays that you might want to attend in the next month. Yoga, yoga, yoga. This is an advert for all upcoming Vajrasati workshops in London and Brighton. I'm going to do these in date order, so get your diaries out. On Sunday, the 27th of January, from 10am to 1pm, Kadeen Morecambe will be teaching at the Brighton Buddhist Centre on The Subtle Body, a workshop called The Subtle Body. You can book by contacting kadeenyoga at gmail.com. Kadeen spelt K-H-A-D-I-N-E. So that's kadeenyoga at gmail.com. We've also got on Sunday the 27th of January from half nine till one, Nikki Crabb teaching a half-day countryside retreat at Barkham Village Hall, which is near Brighton. To book, go to www.nikkicrabyoga, so that's Nikki, N-I-C-K-Y-C-R-A-B-B-Y-O-G-A, nikkicrabyoga.co.uk forward slash half hyphen day hyphen retreat. On Saturday, the 2nd of February, from 2pm till 5pm, Tom Cohen and Sarah Francis will be teaching at About Balance in Brighton. It's their regular workshop entitled Practice, 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 and they'll be exploring the practice of yoga nidra, mantra and breathing exercises, dropping into the body's natural flow with slow, deep and nourishing asana. To book go to aboutbalancebrighton.com. On the, also on the 2nd and 3rd of February, Jim Tarran will be teaching at the Winter Warmer Imbolc Festival, which is part of Into the Wild. You can book by contacting Jim at vajrasatiyoga at googlemail.com or texting or calling 07960 192662. Also on Sunday the 3rd of February in London, London Vajrasati will be gathering 
at Yoga Arch in South London. This is for a Sangha and the wonderful Jeremy Arnold will be hosting the gathering. And this is for all Vajrasati teachers in the community. Expect some scintillating practice, Jeremy says, and discussion. Donations to Yoga Arch on the day will be welcome. And you can come and find more information about that on yoga-arch.co.uk. On Sunday the 17th of February from 10am till 1pm at the Tree of Life Centre in Hove, Kadeen Morecambe will be running a workshop entitled Liar Yoga, the Yoga of Dissolution. And you can book by contacting kadeenyoga at gmail.com. The monthly yoga and pranayama workshop is being held at Yoga Arch in London, taught by Katrin Baumgarten. The next one is happening on Sunday the 17th of February from 2pm till 4pm and you can book by contacting yoga-arch.co.uk. Jim Tarran will be teaching a CPD event on March the 2nd. The focus is on anatomy adjustment and alignment at the brightest Buddhist, Brighton Buddhist Centre. I'm sure it is the brightest centre. Following that, Jim will then be teaching a long weekend in Somerset on March the 8th till the 10th, and then a workshop on yoga and Buddhism at the Brighton Buddhist Centre on Sunday the 24th of March. And again, you can contact Jim to book those on Vajrasati Yoga at googlemail.com or contacting him through his phone on 07960192662. And now it's back to the podcast. Top tips for the year one week 10 assessment, which is coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Top tips. Yeah. Observe uh, your students. Stay observing your students. Do five second checks when you go up to your students. Make sure if you give them an instruction, don't give them the instruction and walk away. Um, For instance, today when I was teaching somebody needed an adjustment and I stayed right to the the last moment until I knew she was completely settled. That's what you got to do. So uh, observation and then feeding back from your observation into your teaching. uh, That's my top tips. I won't say too many, but observe students and and see how your uh, speech is is kind of um, affecting them and adjust it accordingly to wake them up but also to get the point across that you need to make and do those five second checks. Jim, what can you give us and give us as an overall view what to expect in the second part of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras? Well, the second part starts with uh, a description of what Kriya Yoga is, which is uh, three, three primary things, which is uh, surrender to God, discipline or enthusiasm, tapaswadya yeshwara pranidhanani Kriya Yogaha, so um, so it starts with the word tapa, swadhyaya, yeshwara is a mixture of swadhyaya and then eshwara, which is ishwara, which is God, pranidhanani, uh, is surrender, uh, placing oneself in front of God, alignment with God, uh, and then uh, uh, tapa, uh, um, I mentioned that is, is discipline, but uh, it, this is kriya yogaha. So he kind of starts, it, the whole chapter, the second chapter is on sadhana, on practice. So he's giving you practice tips as he does right the way through the whole text. But it starts, it's very interesting that it starts this way. And I think those um, three points are really fundamental for for your own yoga practice because Kriya Yoga obviously is yoga of action. 
And, you know, if modern postural yoga is anything, it's yoga of action. And it's telling you how to practice and what the focuses are of practice, which is enthusiasm or zeal or and and discipline you know both things at the same time so discipline because you know without discipline you're just samskara crazy you know so we were talking earlier about um difficulties uh, just getting yourself on a mat mm. and how samskara is a genius at um telling you yeah yeah uh, get on the mat in a bit but just clean that shelf you know first and you know get on the mat in a bit but just quickly check your emails and you know, there's loads of, some scars are really clever and they're really believable as well. It's like, oh, no, you should, I really should phone, you know, such, I'm worried about my friend, you know, and they're that clever that they can seem altruistic. And just, and just on that, just mm. quickly, the um, the tip was from yourself, just do your favourite posture, just do your favourite asana to mm. start with yeah. and get on the mat. And sometimes I think, oh, I'm not going to do it if I haven't got 40 minutes to do it. But then yeah. I think it's about reminding yourself, even you just, get on and do one posture mm -hmm. it's a good place to start it's and you really find good. yourself Kadina said this you find yourself just you stay there yeah exactly and you know that bit that says I've only got five minutes changes its mind yeah <laughs> so it goes oh I've got a really busy morning I've only got five minutes and then it um get on the mat and you start and it and it goes ah, oh, maybe another five mm. actually maybe another five and before you know it, it's only 45 minutes and the, the other things weren't as important as they made themselves out to be because that's what samskara is trying to do and samskara is trying to it's used to running us mm. you know um that's you know, don't mean to make it sound like possession but you know it's something like possession where do you think the um it's probably a very basic question but why do you think that yoga asana is so mm. pleasurable <laughs> <laughs> it's not a basic question it's a huge <laughs> question but what but why does it feel so good like what 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 pleasure receptors are going on in the body that when you're moving your body in those ways and you know the, mm. if you want to put it in a very crude way it's like you're stretching your body and stretching feels good to move but why does it feel so good and why does it make you feel so good afterwards mm. well i think i mean you know i'm sure some people would argue for endorphins and, and that sort of thing but that's only if you're doing an endorphin fueled kind of practice and um and even then that's not it for me that's not the that was never the attraction obviously you get you can get a high from being in the body endorphin wise but it's more um you know as soon as you touch the um intimacy of the body you're touching something that's infinite and that um that experience just blows you away. It's no different to seeing a beautiful sunset, which is profoundly ungraspable, profoundly beautiful, profoundly, you know, spiritual. And your body is like a sunset. You know, it's it's rich, it's ungraspable, um, but you can feel it. And when you enter into it, you're entering out of the realm of grasping. Um, and that's such a relief. <laughs> and we don't necessarily have the words for that. And we don't necessarily correlate that, you know, that relief with the relief, you know, the joy of seeing a sunset or, you know, uh, anything that expands out of your story of yourself, which is expand, you know, you know it's ex it's sort of expanded through um, touching the infinite, which is everywhere. But the most obvious place to find it is in your body, because that's right here. You, yeah. know, you don't have to wait for a beautiful sunset or whatever. And the miracle that body and how we exist and it's a miracle that's why we do anatomy as well mm. not only for the practical side of moving our bodies and as teachers we have to be safe but it's mm. also to 
what I found is the reminder of that it is insane that we have got these bodies that do what they do and we're not doing any of that we didn't create yeah. any of that that's it you, you got it that's it you know it's that I didn't do it. I'm not doing my breathing. I'm not doing my digesting. I'm not doing my circulation. I'm not even doing my thoughts. Mm. And that's the, you know, that's the, 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 the realization of no self isn't a, a, is a realization that there's no uh, inherent fixed self in any of these processes that the yoga tradition, if you're looking at Sankhya, uh, would call Prakriti, which is, you know, nature, which doesn't have... Uh, any initial cause according to the tradition and it doesn't have uh, any intelligence or plan you know it's just rolling along but we there's a thought it's like, oh my thought what's it mean you know and it's like it doesn't mean anything usually it's just come because you read something in the paper yesterday or someone said something to you or you know you saw something out the corner of your eye you didn't even know you saw and then a thought comes up and it's just causal um, and I think that's you know can cause a lot of suffering um, because it's so contracted and then you enter into the body and you start moving the body and it's like there's you know it's ungraspable joy you're entering into the infinite even a glass of wine can be the same you know you sip a glass of wine and if it's good wine you disappear for a second not because hey i'm getting drunk but <laughs> it's way before you know the getting drunk is the the not so good bit but mm. the bit is the the disappearing into something it can be anything um, that's and that's yoga isn't it the, mm -hmm. when you just come so absorbed that you forget you forget yourself yeah exactly exactly there's so many references to it in poetry and songwriting of all kinds you know i always like that radiohead um lyric for a minute i lost myself on uh, okay computer yeah. and it's um you know the, the sort of spiritual relief that it sounds like i'm possibly projecting onto tom york but <laughs> it sounds like um you know, for a minute, thank God, I lost myself. Mm. <laughs> and I don't think I'm projecting onto Tom York because it's the same for everyone. Mm. People are desperate to lose themselves. That's why people, you know, you mentioned before this, you love singing, I love mm. singing. You know, I love music, you lose yourself. And in losing yourself, you find yourself. So, <clears throat> you know, what you lose is this um, cr sort of nervous systems version of self, which is conditioned into you, you know, uh, by society and, um, familial bias and so on so that's conditioned in and you lose that and you in so doing you find yourself so refer back to Patanjali which is the third aphorism on the first pada <clears throat> and it says you know then the seer rests in essence nature mm -hmm. and but I love that abides in essence nature yeah that word abide mm -hmm. it's special isn't mm -hmm. it and, and you know when you're abiding in essence nature that immediately, because essence nature is infinite, it just eats everything like everything was nothing. Mm. Like a sunset does that. You see a sunset. I, I saw you know one on uh, New Year's Day, was it? I can't remember now. Recently. Incredible sunset. I was with my sister and her partner and Kadeen and uh, Mabel and my niece and my uh, nephew. Uh, and it just blew, it was just like, what? You know, mm. <laughs> and for a moment I, I lost myself because of the infinite infinite nature of that experience and and you know the thing is you can't always get to a sunset you can't always have a glass of wine but you can your body's always here yeah you uh, can always you can always do a downward dog <laughs> not <laughs> necessarily on the tube oh, hey, very good <laughs> but you can always feel into your body and that's kind of what yoga is about mm. you know yeah absolutely feeling 
getting out of your mind and mm. just feeling into what does this what does this knee feel like and what's that tool doing and mm. just even like if you do it now I mean people if you're listening you know if you do it now just feel into your body uh, you know and take breaths of course <laughs> deep breaths I can hear you all taking deep breaths yeah. and then you feel the body's like what, what is it like you know don't try and pin it down but just experience it as it is um, you know and if that happens then you know because of its enormity which is an underplay on the word infinite um, you know the, the thinking mind can't grasp it and, and so it doesn't and when there's no grasping there's no suffering because if you grasp uh, you know the transitory which is the, why the sensations of the body are infinite because they're transitory one of the reasons they're infinite is because they're transitory because they're constantly changing so you can't even pin them down to a finite thing you know that that just completely consumes uh, everything in, in this sort of um, in a second it's like perspective you know yeah hmm. brilliant thanks Jim we're going to now move on to um, questions from um, we've had some listeners write in already oh well future listeners <laughs> first question is from um, Katrin Baumgarten, a.k.a. Kat. She would like to know, who is Abhinava Gupta? Oh, Abhinava Gupta. Oh, I pronounced it wrong. Abhinava. Yeah, Abhinava, actually. Abhinava. Abhinava Gupta. Abhinava Gupta. Yeah, Abhinava Gupta is a 10th century uh, tantric Shaiva um, scholar-practitioner poet uh, who is arguably, you know, he's up there with... Um, Adi Shankara and um, the Buddha and Mahavira uh, uh, as a sort of you know a great doesn't do the right you know right justice um, Mahatma great being um, and what he did he was part of a you know a lineage of um, tantrikas in Kashmir um, and he had many many different teachers from many different uh, traditions and he kind of fused together trika and kaula traditions which are, are, are both uh, incredible traditions in themselves. And, and he brought together several, well, many of the teachings of the Tantra, which had been around uh, for a few hundred years by the time uh, Abhinava came along. Uh, and and he, came, he, he made this uh, incredible text, the Tantra Loka, uh, and a sort of summary version, uh, the essence of the Tantras, Tantrasara, uh, and several other texts as well. But what they were is a is a culmination of um, genius intellect, incredible poet, and um, spiritual master, because he he was able to take from all these incredible spiritual masters that he trained under, um, and and kind of bring all the streams together into a sort of really comprehensive what is tantra? You know what is actually it is to practice tantra, and before that, it, you know the. It, it hadn't properly identified itself, you know, in, in the sense that there were many teachers in a sort of flavour that you could call Tantra, um, starting from about 550 Common Era, as far as we know, that's the only text we, you know, that's the earliest Tantric text that, that, is, that we have, that's a Shaiva text. Um, so he, he's a, a, an extraordinary character and uh, his works are extraordinary as well. Um, and more and more people are getting switched on to him as well as this incredible teacher. It's 
well he's well known in um indian circles of course but western yogins are getting switched on by him so uh, we should look him up you should definitely look him up aka chris wallace mm. Mm. great i am um, thanks for that question cat um next question is from jeremy arnold um what is the future for yoga in the next 25 years do you think <laughs> jeremy arnold. huge question let's try and keep it um succinct because we're running out of time but but if you could if you could predict where you think the yoga is the yoga world is going to go in the west obviously i don't know but i yeah. i i like to think um that what what's um that yoga is maturing in in a recent article i wrote um for yoga magazine uh, one of the things i wrote was that it was a bit like a few years ago someone set off the starting gun and everyone ran mm-hmm. And then halfway down the track, everyone went, hang on, where are we going? <laughs> you know, and then people are starting to kind of, so this is an article, you can probably look it up or I don't know if it's we'll still in the, the shop. To the Great. article at the end of this. It's an article on Sanskrit. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I feel, I think, and I, I guess I am quite an optimist, so I don't know, you know if my opinion's biased by that optimism, but I think people are, are, are naturally reviewing because they they have been promised and promised themselves levels of happiness from yoga um that they're not always getting and in fact some people get to sort of 10 years 20 years 25 years of practice and some and i know i can't tell you how many yoga teachers i know who have given up Uh, i can't tell you how many yoga teachers i know who are depressed um you know or yoga teachers i know who are angry and it's no fault of theirs it's just you know they've invested a lot of time and energy and still feel confused and i think that you know to answer a question you brought up earlier that's where the psychology bit comes in they're like you know maybe psychology can help me um but what i think it is is a lack of uh, fundamental understanding of what yoga really is uh, and what it's really for so if you don't know what something's for you don't use it in the way that it's intended so you're not making the best use of it and so because it wasn't clear that yoga is for freedom and what the word freedom means you know that has to be clarified um then i think a lot of people have uh, uh you know have suffered so but what it seems that, that a through injury and b um through this sort of you know maturation of of yoga um in the west which includes india you know the westernized world um, i mean by the west um you know people are kind of coming full circle and going well hang on what maybe we did miss something out what are the tantric teachings what are the teachings of buddhism what are the teachings of advaita vedanta what, you know and 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 how do they relate to each other which is a big ask <coughs> so people are turning to people uh, like myself or kadeen or um, much more um learned people like uh, christopher wallace or um you know various uh, other teachers um paul muller and so on who are you know we're very very lucky to have not only great scholars but also great practitioners in the form of um well many different people uh, muji and and uh, Ardi, um Shanti and so on uh, arjun samedo we've got these incredible i mean sorry if, you know anyone's listening and i haven't <laughs> mentioned you because this is not exhausted <laughs> it's very much not exhausted so um so i think it's you know it's asking questions of itself um, and it wants more of itself and I think in in those questions it's digging deeper into its roots it's like putting its hands back in the soil and going 
maybe these you know there's something deeper than this and there's something more fundamental than this and there's something you know i have to you know we're all going to die I, th- I want this podcast to have that in it you know that we're all going to die um, we know nobody knows when um and what is it that what does that mean you know what is death and what are we dying to you know what is it that we become mm-hmm. if we die you know if we die uh, uh, and obviously some people would answer nothing and become nothing at all um Anyway, well, that, well, that's another podcast. Just take, make a note for, for, you know, what is death. Um, but, but I think, you know, we have to kind of question, what am I? You know, what am I if, you know, in the light of death, in the light of I, I will die, you know, everyone I know will die. What am I? And I think that's one of the questions that um, we're asking, you know. Uh, and in that digging, we, we turn back to the yoga texts um, and we're, we we need to be more willing, and I think people are, um, to give more, you know, um, and to trust more. Mm. Thank you very much, Jim. Um, I feel maybe we should have one arm to end the podcast. Mm. And thanks to everyone at home for listening, wherever you've listened in from. Um, don't forget, you can send in your questions for... Uh, Jim and Kadeen and we will as the podcast develops have other invited guests in and we will have obviously news of who that will be and you can send your questions before we record them Um, but yeah all that's left to say is um, thank you and let's do it So there we have it, the first ever Vajrasati podcast. I really hope you enjoyed listening to it and I hope that you are going to carry on tuning in every time we send out a podcast, which we will surely do another one in the next six weeks. My next guest is going to be Kadeen Morecambe, senior teacher at the Vajrasati School. Thanks for listening today. Special thanks goes out to Pablo Wilson for helping with the edit of the podcast and for putting together the jingle music with Jim Tarran and of course thanks to Jim for being my guest but most of all thank you for you listener for tuning in speak to you again next time bye